Welcome to Top Self, the podcast dedicated to relax your mind, achieve change, and become a healthier, more present you. Are you ready to move past the daily anxiety, comparing and doubting yourself, and feeling like you're not enough? I'm your host, Shannon Bryant, and I've ruined many good relationships because of my jealousy and stayed way too long in some bad ones because of my insecurity. But I stopped letting fear drive my actions, and now I can't wait to share with you as I dive into these emotions, shed light on how they might be impacting your life, and uncover strategies to break free from their grip. It's time to start living a life of confidence. So get ready to ignite your self-worth and transform your life because, my friend, you are worthy. If you're like I was throughout my many years of jealousy, you've probably Googled, why am I jealous, many, many times. And most likely, you're getting the same response I did. The typical answer of, you may have low self-esteem or feelings of low self-worth. And I felt like that just led to more questions like, okay, but why? Why do I have feelings of low self-worth and low self-esteem? What's the reason behind it? And I felt like it was really hard to get the answer to the question. So today I'm bringing on someone with a wide knowledge of psychology, Dr. Genesis Games, to help shed some light on this burning question. Yes, I think sometimes it can definitely be attached with having low self-worth, having low self-esteem. Sometimes it may not be, right? And I think this piece is important. And and I'll talk a little bit about the core of the low self-esteem because I think that is sometimes the answer. But sometimes our partners are being shady. And that has nothing to do with our self-esteem. That has nothing to do with how we perceive ourselves. That's just a matter of fact. And we are noticing that whether they're being shady intentionally or we're just recognizing that there's a change in the relationship, there's a change in the dynamic, there's a change in their mood, there's just a change overall. And we can't really explain where is this change coming from, like what happened. And that's where sometimes the jealousy and the scenarios in our head can begin to kind of grow and evolve, trying to make sense of this like change we don't understand. And that's a very natural process to happen. When our brain has gaps in any kind of story, when we don't fully understand like the why behind something, our brain is going to try to fill those gaps. It's programmed to do that. So that is, that's very, a very natural progression if we're missing gaps to the story. Now going to the part of the self-esteem or the low self-worth, our self-esteem and our self-worth are usually built in childhood, when I used to work more with children and I would talk to their parents, you talk to your children, the way that you talk about your children in front of your children, um, that becomes your inner voice. And it's not just parents. I think parents are probably the most influential because the well-being and the survival of the child is completely dependent on their parents. But other influential adults, which can be grandparents, can be teachers, can be coaches, also feed in to that inner voice, that inner monologue we all have. And so I think it's very important that if we have children, if we work with children, if we are around children, that we are very mindful of the vocabulary that we use when we're speaking about them and to them. 
Because it's very easy and and often that's what happens is however we were spoken to when we were children is most likely how we're going to parent and how we're going to talk to our own children. Mm -hmm. A lot of times it's very not conscious. And I think even people might say like, I would never treat my child the way that my mom treated me or the way that my dad treated me. I never talk to them that way. But the thing is, if you don't do the work in understanding what is the alternative, then you're automatically going to find yourself doing the same thing when you're under stress, even if that wasn't your intention, because you never thought, well, what's the alternative? If I don't want to yell at them when I'm frustrated, then what am I going to do instead? How am I going to regulate my emotions? And then how am I going to address the situation with them in a different way? What does that look like? So what are some of the things that we may say as parents to our children, unknowingly that we're causing maybe some damage that may not be so apparent to us that we're saying or doing? So I think name calling and not necessarily name calling even in a very harsh way, but I think sometimes saying things like you're a slob or you're so lazy um, or you're just like your dad. And we know that that you're just like your dad is not going in a complimentary way. It's going more in a little jab, right? Um, and sometimes we may say those things and we may even like laugh afterwards, kind of making them like a joke. But the thing is that kids, their ability to understand humor develops later on in life when we're able to think more abstractly and we're able to pick up on sarcasm and things like that. A three-year-old cannot pick on those things. So they are taking what you're saying at face value. You might also be making these little comments talking to like your friend and your child is present and you think your child is playing and not paying attention to you. But when you're making these comments, they're taking that in. Um, you know, sometimes it's, you're just, you're just a bad child or you're just, um, a very hyperactive child. They may be, but these labels, they identify with it a hundred percent. And so they don't think a part of me is hyperactive. And maybe that's like a part of me that I need to work on. They take on, I'm a hyperactive kid. And so there is limitations that come with that. And I am going to abide by those limitations. And then there's expectations that come with that. And I'm also going to fulfill the role of those expectations. So we do the same thing as children that we do or tend to do in adulthood is go very black and white on something. It's it's all 100% this or 100% that. Exactly. Uh, so interesting. And that makes me think, you know, in my family, and I'm sure tons of families, and we love humor and we love to pick on each other, kind of poke fun at each other. That's very enlightening to see, well, a three-year-old doesn't understand, as you said, the sarcasm behind that. Uh-huh. Then... This may be a play where parents are talking to their children like that. What then does does that happen? We know that they start thinking 100% or all in on something. What happens then in the future? So that begins, they begin to internalize that as their inner voice, right? And so that guides what I believe of myself, what we, what I would call core beliefs. So do I believe I'm capable? Do I believe I'm smart and intelligent? Do I believe I am bad and carry the shame of being bad? Do I believe I deserve good things in life? Do I believe that I am lovable? Do I believe that I deserve to be happy? And so if I believe these things, I'm going to act in ways to help fulfill that, if that makes sense. 
if I don't believe these things, I'm going to act in ways to not be able to fulfill that. Now, it doesn't mean that I don't want to be happy or that I don't want to be loved or that I don't want to have good things in my life. I want those things. But it's kind of like the self-fulfilling prophecy where when I'm getting ready to achieve that, I am probably going to do something to self-sabotage that. And the same thing happens in relationships. So especially if I believe I'm not lovable and maybe my parents would say things like I should have been, I shouldn't have had you um, or maybe compare me to a sibling or whatever the case may be. But if I got the message that I am not lovable, that is really going to impact my intimate relationships. Most definitely my romantic relationships, but I would even say some of my close friendships It's going to be hard for me to have closeness. Closeness is probably going to create some form of discomfort for me. Whether I may want reassurance all the time that I am lovable, that you want to be in this relationship with me, that you continue to feel the same way about me. Or when I feel that we're getting too close, I may freak out because if I am not lovable, how are you getting so close to me? Right? Maybe I've been masking it and faking it, but if you get any closer than you are now, you are going to realize that I am not lovable and you're going to go away and that's going to hurt. So I'm not going to let you get that close. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think we can see that all the time in relationships. Oh, if they knew how I really was or when, you know, it's been a while and maybe it's time to consider the future, people may get a little bit nervous and scared about that because that means they're going to see the true me, as we say. Yeah. Another thing I kept running into as I Googled the topic of jealousy was ROCD or Relationship Obsessive Compulsive Disorder. And I understand why we're associating it with that, because when we get in that habitual mode of looking at their phones and tracking locations and asking them questions, it can seem very obsessive. But Dr. Games says it's more about your attachment style than a disorder. As I was reading a little bit more on relationship OCD, what I really see is these attachment styles coming up. And we all have attachment styles. And in every relationship, we are trying to figure out this dance between closeness and independence. In every single relationship that we're in. Some of us feel more comfortable being more independent, having more time to ourselves, having more time to like process things on our own and then coming together. Some of us feel more comfortable being together most of the time and having a little less of that independence. Um, now, this is a very normal just experience for every human being that's in any form of a relationship. Now, if we have an insecure attachment and Attachment is formed in childhood. Attachment is highly influenced by the main caretaker, um, but basically parents in general. A parent not being present impacts the attachment style as well. And then I would say anyone else that's influential in a child's life, I don't like to limit it to just like parents because I think sometimes there's other influential people as well that can have an impact. So attachment styles are generally created from childhood and then they're impacted by every other experience that we have. If we've been like really bullied in school, that may have an impact on our attachment style as well. Early romantic experiences, even like in middle school, high school, we a lot of times think, oh, well, that was like puppy love and we were little and like that wasn't a real relationship. And I mean, it maybe wasn't like a real relationship and that there was like no engagement, but that doesn't mean that the feelings that you experienced then weren't real and weren't impactful. 
Um, so all of those experiences feed into those attachment styles. And for people with insecure attachment styles is where you would see more of a tension in that normal dance. How early on is the attachment style that someone has? How early on is that developed? So there's some studies that have shown between 9 and 12 months, you can begin to see that attachment style. And so with children, these studies that have been done, usually they will take mom and they'll take the baby and they'll put them like in a playroom and the baby will be encouraged to explore the playroom and play with the different toys. And what they want to see is, is the baby going to be clinging to mom the whole time in this new environment? Or is the baby going to be willing to explore on their own? And if they explore on their own, are they going to be like playing on their own the whole time? Or are they going to try to engage with mom and try to play with mom at certain points in time? And if mom leaves the room, is the baby going to have a meltdown? Or is the baby going to be kind of distracted by the toys and and the other things in the room? Are they going to maybe have a little bit of a meltdown, but then get distracted and be able to enjoy themselves? What is a reaction that they're going to have? And so with a secure attachment style in children, what we know is um, the baby is going to feel confident going into the playroom, exploring the playroom, but we'll also check to make sure that mom is there every once in a while and my engaged mom in play. But it's also okay playing on their own. So there's this balance. There's no fear. It's like, I know you will be there. So I feel confident that I can go and explore. And if I don't like what I find, or if I get bored, or if I need you, I know you will be there. And I'll come back to that. Right. When mom exits the room, they'll have an emotional reaction. There might be a little bit of tears, but they're able to self-soothe. And they're able to redirect themselves to play. And when mom comes back into the room, they're excited to see mom. They're not resentful. They're not like, mom, you abandoned me. They're excited to see mom. And then they can engage in play, check that mom is there, engage in play, bring mom into the play. But they're also not clinging to mom like, you better not leave me ever again. There's not that anxiety. There's a lot of confidence, a lot of trust, and a lot of safety. Hey you, I just wanted to pop in and let you know the doors to the Trust Building Bootcamp are now open. Are you tired of feeling anxious and insecure in your relationship? Do you constantly worry that your partner's cheating or they're going to leave you even when there's no evidence of betrayal? Do you feel like, oh, I just can't trust even myself sometimes? Well, that was me. And if it sounds like you, it's time to stop second guessing. And I know some of the thoughts that you have, like, is this something that anyone would be upset about? Or am I just worried about it because of my jealousy? Well, mark your calendars for Wednesday, May 29th, because that's when our trust building bootcamp begins. In our weekly one hour sessions, you'll learn how your brain is choosing unhealthy strategies to get your needs met and how to pull yourself out of those insecure habit loops. I lead every session live to give you guidance to learn to trust not only your partner, but yourself. Whether you're struggling with past traumas or simply want to strengthen the foundation of your relationship, this boot camp is for you. And believe it or not, we actually have fun. Don't let your fears hold you back from experiencing the love and security you deserve. Spaces are limited, so visit topself.com to sign up or simply click the link in the show notes 
to take your first step to a more trusting relationship. You won't regret it. See you there. Hearing that attachment styles could play a big role in why you have feelings of jealousy, I wanted Dr. Games to really dive in and talk about each attachment style in detail. What are the attachment styles? Can we start there and talk through what each of those are? So what I just described is a secure attachment style. And I described it in childhood, but you know, I think sometimes it's funny because I, I think a lot of like our research starts with children and focuses on children and like how, how early can we detect these things? But then we forget that these children grow and become adults. So there's a lot of more recent research on attachment styles in adults, but there was a gap in the literature for a while on what happens with these kids when they grow up. Um, so secure attachment in adults would look like um, someone that is confident in themselves. And, and it, not in a cocky way, but just like they are confident in who they are. They're comfortable in their own skin, at least most of the time. They know what they bring to the table in a friendship, in a romantic relationship, in any relationship that they're in. They know what they bring to the table. They have a positive perspective of themselves and of other people as well. So they don't think that everyone is bad and everyone is out to get them. They think, you know, yeah, some people suck and some people are bad, but there's also some people that are good and have good intentions. And, you know, sometimes good people make mistakes. They're more willing because of that. They're more willing to give the benefit of doubt. So if something, you know, if something doesn't go the way they expected, if there's something that they're like, oh, they're not going to jump into the conclusion of like, oh, this is a terrible person or they're just like playing with me. They're going to give them the benefit of the doubt and they're going to want to know like, okay, well, what happened? Why did you bail on me on our date? They're going to think, well, maybe they had a car crash or maybe something happened. They're going to think about other possibilities instead of thinking they just don't want anything to do with me and they're playing me. Because they're more familiar with seeing also the positive side of people and the positive side of life. Yes. Um, they're also really good at communicating. They're really good at um, communicating their feelings, their needs, their wants. So if they notice something, let's say in a dating situation, if they notice something that might be a red flag, something they might not feel too comfortable with, they're not going to hesitate in bringing that up. And they'll bring it up and they'll have a conversation about it. And, and based on that, they'll decide whether they want to move forward in the relationship or not. Whereas someone with an insecure attachment style might want not bring it up because they might be afraid that starting a conversation on that would automatically mean the end of the relationship. Or they'll hyper focus on that red flag and automatically say, I can't be with you without asking any more questions or having any sort of context. You know, so it'd be something like, I don't know, you, you're a morning person. Like who's the morning person? That's it. I cannot date a morning person without getting any more context. So back to those extremes. Exactly. Um, and so then we have insecure attachment styles and in insecure attachment styles, uh, I guess the first thing I want to highlight is that although there's different types of insecure attachment styles and they display different behaviors, they all want connection and they all want to be in a relationship. They want to feel seen. They want to feel loved. They want to feel heard. It just, it creates anxiety for them and they display this anxiety in different ways. But at the root of it, there is the same desire and there's the same fear. 
And so with the anxious attachment style, this is the person that has a hard time being on their own. They have a hard time seeing themselves outside of a relationship. This might be your serial monogamous friend that goes from being in a seven-year relationship into a 10-year relationship into a seven-year relationship, right? Um, not a lot of time single, not a lot of time on their own. They really cling into these relationships. If you talk to this friend, they may have told you six months in, I kind of saw these red flags, but you know, I just kept going. Right. Um, and it, so it's not necessarily that they're blinded to these red flags, but they're really holding on to this relationship. They have this fear of being on their own. They have this fear of abandonment. And there's usually a history of abandonment. If we think back into childhood or if we think even some of those early romantic relationships or even some close friendships that may have ended in a very difficult way growing up. They're trying to do anything and everything to have reassurance that the relationship is going well and that their partner is equally as invested as they are. That's usually a very big fear. So this is often where you can see jealousy. Um, because there's any any change in behavior in their partner or any change in the mood of their partner, they're so attuned to it. So they immediately recognize it. I think sometimes even before the partner recognizes it. And so they automatically internalize it. If you're upset, it must be because I'm not making you happy. Mm-hmm. Not your job. It's not gas prices. It's not anything else happening in the world. But it must be that I'm not making you happy. Yeah, it has to be about me, right? Yes. And this often I hear, and and what I experienced and did myself was looking for that constant reassurance. Like, do you still love me, right? Or do you still love me? Like, it's that constant check-in, even if we notice the slightest thing, as you were saying. Yes. And so sometimes... This is where jealousy can be experienced, but it can be also where the partner tries to make the other partner feel jealous as a way to get that reassurance. So if I feel like you're not giving me the attention that I need, if you, you know, you're maybe tired of me checking in all the time and you're not being as responsive as before, I want to get some emotion out of you. So I may act out in what we call protest behaviors and trying to get some emotion out of you as a reassurance that, well, you still care about me. You still care about this relationship. This can also create pressure for the other partner because I think the other partner might sometimes think, why are they constantly asking me for reassurance? Maybe I'm not doing something right. Maybe Mm -hmm. I'm not communicating enough. Maybe I'm not being expressive enough, affectionate enough. Like I thought I was like putting my best self in this relationship. But if my partner feels so insecure, then maybe it's also about me. Interesting. So then you put that, maybe it's about me on your partner as well. And they begin to think sort of the same thing that you're thinking. Is it about me? And now they're thinking, well, is it about me? Because to them, I just said, I loved you this morning. And you're already asking me when I get home, do I still love you? And nothing has changed and nothing's happened. It's confusing. Mm -hmm. It can, it can definitely be confusing and it can feel stressful. The other attachment style is avoidant. And so for avoidant people, they are avoiding that intense closeness. So whereas the anxious person is willing to do anything and everything to keep that relationship, not, you know, not acknowledge red flags, not necessarily express your feelings authentically, et cetera, et cetera. The, the avoidant person really 
loves your independence and really loves your space and really loves being able to make their own decisions without having to take anyone else into consideration. Now, this isn't, these are not like selfish people. Some people are selfish and are avoidant, but not everyone that's avoidant is selfish. They've just learned in life that they have to rely on themselves and that other people aren't reliable. And so this might be where there were maybe absent parents. And I don't mean absent where they were physically absent, but maybe they weren't emotionally present. This may have been a situation where maybe one of the parents was very ill or maybe passed away. And this child had to step up and grow up really fast and take on responsibilities that a child shouldn't have. And based on these experiences, they know they can rely on themselves. They know that when things get tough, they have their back and they don't feel like they can rely on other people in the same way. They don't have that optimistic perspective of, you know, people are generally good and sometimes good people make mistakes. They generally think you can't really trust other people. So that shapes the way that they go into relationships, like that preconceived notion when they're starting to meet someone and explore a potential relationship. They're really going to safeguard that independence. Right. And um, if they feel like that independence is being taken away from them, they're going to begin to feel suffocated and they're going to feel like they need that space and they're going to start asking for that space. And so what that can look like might be maybe let's say the partner is asking for more time together, quality time, something like that, maybe a trip or something of that nature that might be triggering. They may begin to feel suffocated and they may pull back pull a plug on the trip but on top of that maybe there's silent treatment for a few days or maybe I'm working extra hours to avoid being at home and seeing less of you um, maybe it's having a hard time giving the relationship a label so maybe it's hard for me to say like we're exclusive um, or it's hard for me to say you know what I really want to marry you because this means that we're taking commitment to another level and this also means that with that added commitment it's going to be expected of me that I give more of myself and then again you're going to see more of me and maybe you don't like what you see Ooh, I can imagine the fireworks in a relationship where you have one that has anxious attachment one that has avoidance and then you know, one's trying to cling and one is trying to really put some distance. And that's the thing. These two people tend to fall in love. Of course they do. <laughs> there is one more attachment style before we talk a little bit about that dynamic. And that is a mix of both. So you have anxious traits and you have avoidant traits. Um, this is said to be the less common of the two. I want to say that the, the number of these is actually becoming more popular or more common. And so what happens here is kind of it's a push and pull. So at the beginning of the relationship, like I like you, I think you're interesting, like I'm into you. So there's going to be more of that anxious attachment style. I want to see you all the time. I want to go on dates with you. I want to talk to you. I want to text you. I just want to be around you all the time. I want us to be exclusive. I want to have a title. Like I want to know that you're mine. But the moment that I feel like you're mine, that's too much closeness. And I begin to pull away. But then you're like, wait, hold on. Like all this intensity, all this commitment, you were so sure about us. And now you're pulling away. And so it can become very difficult 
you, you said fireworks with the other, with the avoidant and the anxious. So with this one would be fireworks times 10, because you're having this constant push and pull coming just from one person. The other person is having to react to that and try to make sense of that. We know that in these kind of relationships, there's a higher likelihood for domestic violence because that partner has a harder time regulating their emotions. And they're having very polar opposite intense emotions at different points of the relationship. I assume then could also be the reverse. And I'm just thinking about my own situation. Like I felt like I'm the coolest girlfriend until I have feelings for you. And then I go into that anxious it can happen the other way as well. Yes. One can come first, the other one can come after, but it's just the idea that you're going back and forth in these very intense feelings, polar opposite intense feelings. And what's triggering this back and forth is like that sign of commitment or that sign of closeness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then you said that this develops very early on, but could it be if someone grew up for the most part, they or they have a secure attachment, mm-hmm. they feel great, very balanced, and then maybe they get into a relationship with someone that's not healthy for them or something else major happens. Can they go then from being that secure person to even just from a relationship start to move into some of these others? Absolutely. Although, yes, it, it's mostly created in childhood. It's definitely some, it's, it's not like a life sentence. So we can go from being avoidant to being secure, from being anxious to being secure, but we can also go from being secure to being any of the insecure attachment styles, having, you know, a traumatic breakup, having maybe infidelity or just any form of like traumatic situation in a relationship can definitely affect your attachment style. And then is that, maybe less likely for someone who has secure attachment because maybe they're picking, choosing better partners just because of the way that they, they operate in the world. Maybe they wouldn't get in that situation. I know we certainly can't, well, you know, we can't guarantee what our partner is going to do no matter what. So that certainly could happen, but is it in general, we're probably picking better suited people for us. Going back to the idea that avoidant and anxious people tend to fall in love with each other, secure people would not deal with a lot of that. So they, it's not like they would run away right away because they would want to have a conversation about it and they're going to assume good intentions, but they're also going to express their expectations, their needs, and their wants. And if they've expressed this a few times and they don't see any desire for change in their partner, they're going to walk away because they believe there are other people out there that could be a good fit for them. They don't think there's a shortage of people and they're comfortable being alone in the meantime. So they will try to talk it out and they'll try to work it out, but eventually they will walk away if there's no desire to change in the other partner. So if I am anxious or avoidant and I am in a relationship with a secure person it is possible that that relationship can be very healing for me and that I can move more towards a secure attachment style if I have the desire to change and work on myself because that secure person will be some form of an anchor for me. But at the same time, if I'm not ready to take on that challenge, then that relationship is likely not going to last very long because they're not going to put up with me not wanting to 
improve myself and grow and change. Right. So that secure person is probably not going to go as far down the rabbit hole as maybe the anxious or avoidant. Exactly. Got it. Got it. So since we can move from secure to insecure, I think that the hot topic or question is, can we move then to secure? You started to talk about that a little bit. What are some ways that we can start to heal and move to that secure person? So I think the best way would be to find yourself a secure partner. Not always the easiest. And of course, if someone is listening and they're in a relationship and they're like, my partner is totally avoidant, I'm not suggesting that you end that relationship. But that would be the best way because that secure person will challenge us to become more secure. They will challenge us to speak. They want to hear us speak. They want to know what's going on with us. They want to know what's happening in our inner world. So they're going to challenge us and they're going to encourage us to do that. And it's not going to, it's not going to be triggering for them and it's not going to feel like too much. So that is probably the best way for us to practice all of those communication skills. And just to know, you know, I think it's very healing to be able to say, I feel this way, or I need X, Y, and C, and have someone say, I get that. And I'm going to do my best to fulfill that for you. Can't guarantee that I'll fulfill it 100% of the time, but I am going to do my best to fulfill that for you. And so in that dynamic over time, healing can happen. Now, if you find yourself in a relationship with someone else that has an insecure attachment style, I think this is where couples therapy is very, very important because I can be doing all the things to try to understand where my attachment style developed, to try to heal some of the things from my past that might have been, you know, the the core reason why I have this attachment style. I can work on rebuilding my self-esteem. I can work on communicating and being in touch with my needs and my feelings. I can do all of that. And that's phenomenal. But when I come back to a dynamic where my partner doesn't understand that, they're not going to be receptive. They're going to be triggered by it. They're going to be like, why are you telling me all this information? If I start expressing my needs to an anxious partner, they might, again, internalize this as it's all about them and they're this terrible person. And I'm telling them this because I'm ready to be out of the relationship. If I say all my needs to an avoidant partner, they're going to feel overwhelmed. They're just going to feel like I'm just inadequate. They've seen my true me. I'm not a good partner. I can't do this. I may as well leave. So I can be doing all great work in individual therapy or on my own through self-help. And I might be crossing off things. But when it comes back to that dynamic, it's not going to be received well if my partner is not working on themselves as well. And so what's going to happen is I'm triggering them even though that's not my intention. And then they're going to trigger me because they're going to pull away or they're going to, you know, whatever their reaction is. And before I know it, we're back into our same dynamics. Ah, interesting. So it's really best to go at it together in that situation. What if they're not willing to, is there a possibility where you get to the point because you've done all this work and you're moving to that secure place where you go, you know what, now this is not working for me altogether. And that may then be the end result for that situation. I think that happens to a lot of people when they don't go at it together. I think sometimes it can also be a wake up call for the other partner. 
And so I think when they see that you've committed to this change and that you're, you know, I, I like to use a metaphor of a dance. So when, you know, you're no longer dancing a waltz, but you're dancing something else, you're dancing hip hop, it's a whole new choreography and they're completely lost they may realize, oh, she's sticking to hip hop. So if I don't learn a few steps in hip hop, like we're not going to be able to be dance partners anymore. So it can be a wake up call at times, but at other times it just becomes just this kind of, I, we go back to the same dynamic and I just accept that this is the relationship that we're always going to have. Or I commit to my own healing and my own process and know that this person is probably not going to be able to continue to be a part of my life. Thank you for sharing that because I think it's something very important for people to understand, especially if they do start to do the work, they, their partner right now is not willing to do that work with them. They may begin to feel when they go back and they're excited and they want to start and, and try all these new things and then they don't get the response that they want and it starts to go back into the pattern that they had. Mm-hmm. That person who has been doing the work may think, well, this isn't this isn't helping, this isn't working out. And then we give up on the idea mm-hmm. that anything can change. I, I don't want to make it sound so gloomy because I don't want people to be afraid to get their own help if their partner doesn't want to. And then think, well, if I get my own help, that means that our relationship is automatically going to end. I think that when we change ourselves, we can influence other people. But the ability or the amount of influence is really dependent on how open the other person is. Well, and I think with that explanation, it definitely helps because one, you are now prepared like, okay, they may not receive this well right away. I may not get the reaction that I'm looking for, but I know that and I know then what that means or the reason that that's happening versus it's happening because of some other reason this isn't working. It's all doom and gloom from here. Right. Never going to change. You have realistic expectations of what your partner's reaction might be to the changes you're going to be making. Great information. Thank you for sharing all of that. It's so enlightening. And I really wanted you to answer that question for people when they're in that desperate mode of saying, why am I like this? And really understanding where that comes from. And Can you give us before we leave, because I think I don't want to leave that additional question there of, okay, but then how can I get to Mm -hmm. this secure attachment? And I know you can't cover everything because it takes a bit, but what types of things do you recommend for people to start doing to move to that secure person and keeping in mind, maybe somebody can't right now go to therapy, especially we know right now it's really difficult for some to get into therapy or can't afford therapy, whatever the situation is, is there something they could start working on right now or start doing right now? So I would explore the patterns and the dynamics in all of your relationships. And I would start there. So like we said, someone can be secure and they can maybe find themselves in a relationship with someone that is anxious. And maybe it's like a new relationship and you're thinking like, do I want to stay in this relationship? I am maybe noticing myself like starting to feel a little bit avoidant and like, this is not me. So I think a good way is to assess your relationships, not just the relationship that you're in now. So that might be previous partners. That might also be your relationship with some close friends. 
Do you tend to pull away? Do you tend to like just hide certain parts of you? Do you tend to be very open? Do you tend to be very uh, engaged in the relationship? Are you always the one like taking initiative and like checking in and making sure that things are going a certain way? Um, are you kind of like in the middle of that? So take take inventory of all of your relationships and see if you find a pattern. Find a pattern among your partners and friends. Find a pattern of the way that you behave, the way that you feel in these relationships. That would be step number one. Um, step number two, you can take an attachment style quiz online. I highly recommend the book Attached. I think it does a really good job at explaining the different attachment styles. It has the quiz built in. It has like little tidbits of what to do with your specific attachment style moving towards a secure attachment style, etc. But I would take the quiz so that I can have like an exact knowledge of where I fall. And then I would um, be curious, where was this formed? What was my relationship with my caregivers like, the important adults in my life? What were some of my early friendships and early romantic relationships like? Was there ever a time where I felt abandoned? Was there ever a time where I felt I couldn't rely on the people I thought I should be able to rely on? Was there ever a time that my emotional needs were not met in these relationships? Was there ever a time that I felt like I had to step up and be the adult in the family? Look back at that and try to reflect on where that came from, but also see what you can do to try to heal from that. Is there conversations that you can have with people? Is there some forgiveness that would be helpful? Is there some shame that you're carrying because of this? And can you maybe be more self-compassionate with yourself? I would do some more exploring in that area. And I think the last thing that I think is really important is the communication piece. And so I think it would be very important for me to get real about my needs, to get in touch with my feelings, to understand what my expectation of my partner and relationships are and how realistic those expectations are. And then to start talking about these with my partner. Thank you so much. That's very informative. And I think for the most part, it's just that awareness, even starting with that awareness of, oh, there's this. I mean, I thought forever, this is just who I am. This is just the way that I am, not knowing that there's a solution and you can actually do steps to change that. So I think just having that awareness and making some sense of it is a, is a great first step. Right. It's not a life sentence. Yeah. Yeah. Genesis Games, thank you so much for joining us on Top Self. Thank you so much. My pleasure. If you're curious about your attachment style, go to the website at topself.com and take the free attachment style quiz. Until next time, take care and remember you're not alone.